This is a download from the Wireless Theatre Company. It was the autumn of 1898, a year of considerable note for my friend and colleague, Mr Sherlock Holmes. His services had been much in demand, aided, I am sure, in no small part, by the case notes published in the Strand magazine. In these, I tried to give a full and accurate portrayal of the work and personality of Holmes, his neuroses, his fear of women and small dogs, and also of myself. Tough, handsome, charming. Are you talking to someone, Watson? <clears throat> no, old man. I am simply preparing a preface to our latest adventure. I see. Does that say charming? Yes. What of it? Nothing. Please continue. Having only recently concluded the adventure of the Cavern of Mirrors and the adventure of the Salad Bowl and the Death Squid, Holmes and I felt in need of a well-earned rest. Unfortunately, that was not to be, as a mysterious telegram took us to Sussex and into an adventure the like of which we had never before experienced. An adventure that would trouble the sanity of lesser men. An adventure of surprise and life-threatening danger. An adventure of romance. An adventure the world would come to know as The Trial of Sherlock Holmes. The Trial of Sherlock Holmes. Written and directed by Peter Davis and Matthew Woodcock. We alighted from the London train at eleven, following a very early start. So early, in fact, that I was unable to enjoy Mrs. Hudson's gargantuan breakfast. Fortunately, I have become used to such a predicament, which is why I now carry with me a device that allows me to consume all the elements of a good English breakfast in liquid form. Please, Watson, can you refrain from bringing your breakfast tube with you? This is my best coat. We did leave in something of a hurry, Holmes. The communication required us to make all haste, and I do not make a habit of keeping my clients waiting. What were the contents of the telegram? You seemed reluctant to enlighten me. All in good time, my faithful hound. Here we are, on the platform of some godforsaken spot. I can't remember being in such a lonely place. Except perhaps Dartmoor, or the Priory School, or... Excuse me, Mr. Holmes. Indeed. And you must be... Inspector Jeffcott, sir. You got the telegram. As I stand in front of you, my travelling coat splattered with the remains of Dr. Watson's breakfast... I feel certain even an inspector of the Sussex Constabulary should be able to answer that question. Then you know what must be done. All right, fellas. Holmes, what's going on? Watson, whatever happens, you must not interfere. Holmes? Sherlock Holmes, it is my duty to arrest you. You... Arrest? Now, wait a minute. This is Sherlock Holmes. The bracelets, please, Constable, for both of them. But... Watson is no part of this, Inspector. Take both of them, Constable. Holmes? Hmm? Would it surprise you to learn I haven't the slightest idea what's going on? Would it surprise you if I said no? Hold hard, Watson. Things will get darker yet. But trust me, old friend, and I will see us through this. Holmes? What? Is this a cocaine thing? No, it is not a cocaine thing. Let the prisoner enter. This way, Mr. Holmes. Inspector, surely you know this is wrong. Sherlock Holmes is one of the greatest forces for good of the age. All the help he has given the police... All... I am aware of the gentleman's reputation, Doctor. I'm just doing my duty. 
Sherlock Holmes, you stand accused of being a public menace, of putting at risk not just yourself, but those connected with you, no matter how brief their connection, and also being smug. How do you plead? There is but one answer to that, Your Honour, and that is not guilty. You will not change your plea. Before we have heard the evidence. Where is the prosecution, sir? My defence. This could be no more a mockery of a trial if it were presided over by a Labrador in a wig. I am no Labrador, Mr. Holmes. My bite and my bark are equally as vicious. I am the Lord Justice Fitzroy Gringe, and in my hands I hold the power of life and death over you. But wait, what's this? Oh, my hand, it grows weak. I think we should get started before I do something you might regret. Now, wait a minute. This is no trial? This Guilty! What? Bless you, Your Honour. Thank you, Inspector. <clears throat> oh, damn dust. Now, where was I? Oh, yes. I called Dr. John H. Watson. Holmes? Remember our discussion. Very well. Your Honour? State your name for the court. I am Dr. John H. Watson, medical practitioner. One moment. The H. Yes? What does the H stand for? Henry? Hamish? As you are not a lovely lady, I feel disinclined to tell you. And you reveal the H to ladies, do you? I consider it a matter of honour to always present the H. What is your relationship with the accused? I am his official biographer and companion. Companion? That's right. And what does that entail? A great many things. Sometimes I will stand by his side as he interrogates a witness. At others, I might stand by his side as he confronts the perpetrator of some fiendish plot. There's a lot of standing by his side, then. No. Sometimes I stand in front of him. And are these times dangerous? Danger, sir, is my middle name. I thought it was H. The H is silent. Tell me, Dr. Watson, there must be times when his deductive powers fail him. He can sometimes be blind to the reality of a situation. And are these the times you must stand in front of him? I have leapt to his defence and I would do it again. Now, in fact. Perhaps not with my trusty revolver, but my words can be as deadly as any bullet. My words are well oiled and sit in the barrel or mouth of my gun or face. So beware, your honour. Indeed. Tell me, Dr. Watson, of an incident that took place in the summer in Regent's Park Zoo. You know of that. It could strike at the very heart of the case. Well, <clears throat> if I must, it was the summer of 1897. It was one of the rare moments when a client had arrived and Holmes had not yet been roused. I, on the other hand, was more than roused and did my best to put the young lady at her ease. Thank you for seeing me, Dr. Watson. I throw myself at your feet and ask that you use your finest deductive power. Second only to your innate masculinity and natural, rugged charm. I think the court could do without your fictions, Dr. Watson. Mm. Sorry? Is not Mr. Sherlock Holmes at home? <laughs> do you laugh at me, sir? No, <clears throat> no, not at all. It's just... Yes? You said Holmes at home? What of it? You don't find that funny? No. Right. Dr. Watson... I am here because I believe Mr. Holmes is the one man in London who I feel sure can help me. Will I do? For now. Better than nothing. Please, sit. Perhaps I can calm your nerves. I hope not. Your reputation is well known. <laughs> Dr. Watson, something terrible, something so strange has befallen my family that I scarce know where to begin. 
At the beginning, my dear. Quite the very best place to start. Holmes! I'm glad to see your deductive powers have not failed you, my friend. And you are Miss Charlotte Horsham, are you not? How did... Here we go. You're holding in your hands a pair of gloves, monogrammed C.H. That, combined with the letter I can see lying in your open bag, addressed to a Charlotte, made the deduction quite simple. Also, I can see the label in the back of your collar states that it belongs to a Miss C. Horsham. Putting these together was the work of moments. But enough of this. Perhaps you should appraise me of the trouble. Your father? How could you know I was here about my unfortunate father? I'm having a sleep. Just let me know when he's finished. That you have come here in a hurry is obvious from your dress. The lower three buttons of your coat are incorrectly fastened. To make such an elementary mistake suggests your preoccupation. The letter open in your bag has been read several times, judging by the creases at the corners of the papers. It is possible it could be from a lover, but the tone is not one of romance. Also, Watson was giving you his full-strength lady charm, which tells me that you are a single woman. Now, hang on just a minute. Ignore my friend. He does get a little heated when I bring up his gifts. I do not get heated! My father is a naturalist. He is not an authority, indeed. It could be said that others of his discipline have shunned his more unorthodox studies. His greatest love is lizards, God's most beautiful and enigmatic creatures, he would say. But he would say it in a man's voice. And something about his studies has troubled you. It has troubled me, like an unwanted gentleman caller. Can we stop this? I was trying to put you at your ease. Recently... He has spent much time at Regent's Park Zoo, whose collection of lizards is unsurpassed. Daily he would visit the lizards and sketch their tiny faces in his notebook, being sure to note down correctly their bone structure and draw little bonnets and dresses on the female lizards. A month ago, he returned to our home early and spoke of a great discovery. And how did he sound? I have made a great discovery. No, I meant, was he agitated? He was excited. We've never been wealthy, especially since the death of my mother, and I have no brother to provide an additional income. My father has always searched for a way to improve our circumstances. That day, he believed he had. After studying the regenerative powers of the leopard gecko, he believed he finally had a way of keeping our landlord, and nemesis, Sir Rinsley Brigade, from our front door forever. But you cannot regrow a human limb in the way a gecko can regrow its tail. I know that now. For what happened next is almost too horrifying to contemplate. Yet contemplated you must. Must I? Must she? She must. Sorry. My father acquired a book of human anatomy and some equipment, I assume from a rogue doctor. Damn those rogue doctors. They are the worst of rogues. Day and night he spent in a makeshift laboratory in our home, taking samples from the geckos he bought, probably from a rogue zookeeper. Damn those rogue zookeepers. They are the second worst of rogues. He scribbled his notes furiously into a journal that he must have purchased from a stationer's. Damn those stationers! Shut up, Watson. One night, I awoke to a hideous scratching in the corridor beyond my room. Knowing my father would have retired long since, I lit a candle and opened the door to investigate. If only I had kept that door tightly sealed. But you opened the door. I opened the door, and I saw... What did you saw? Oh, Mr. Holmes... Standing in the hallway was a giant lizard, wearing the clothing of a man. And you could not have been mistaken? Sometimes, after eating a very large cheesy pie... I had not consumed a cheesy pie, Doctor. I know what I saw. And yet that was not the end of it. How did you know? You are still in my rooms, talking with your mouth. Everything they say of your deductive powers is true. Indeed, this was not the end. 
I came to see more and more of this lizard man. He became a fixture, like a scaly lodger. Then I slowly realised the awful truth. Never did I see my father and the lizard at the same time. Because... Because... Your father was the lizard. I do not know how he did it, but it was him. He smoked the same cigars, drank my father's gin. The only difference was the creature's love of flies and his ability to scare our fearsome landlord so much that now we only deal with his much nicer mother. That doesn't seem so terrible. But that was not the end of it. As the weeks went by, my father appeared less and less, and the lizard man he became seemed to take over. He would spend hours away from home, I believe at the zoo, with those he saw as his own kind. Sometimes he would return with money, sometimes he would not, but always there was the scratching. Those talons. Heavens, a most singular tale. Will you help me? I will make inquiries and communicate the results via telegram or Watson, whichever is quicker. Oh, Mr. Holmes, you do not know what a weight this is off my shoulders. About twenty-five pounds? About that, yes. Have no fear, my dear. I'm sure we shall get to the bottom of this unpleasantness. And then, perhaps, there might be something I can assist you with? No. Right. Good day, gentlemen. I hope it will not be long before I speak with you again. Well, Holmes, surely a most intriguing story. Hmm, to a collector of fairy tales. Yes, about those. I can read you one later. We must away. Oh, where must we away? Is it not obvious? To Regent's Park Zoo. Surely a disguise is not necessary. The criminal fraternity of London is a restless one. You've had another note. Indeed. Here. The scent of judgment shall be upon you, Sherlock Holmes. Surely the work of a diseased mind. Until we've eliminated all other possibilities, we must take every precaution. Hence, I'm dressed as a humble match-seller. And I, his wife. Yes, why are you wearing a dress? It was all I could find. I see. Do you disapprove? No, no, no. You look lovely, Watson. It's just... What? Watson, look! Look with your eyes! My God, Holmes! It's some kind of man-lizard! A mizzard, if you will! It's heading for the reptile house. No time for portmanteau, Watson. Indeed. I doubt we'll have need of a ship. I don't like it. It's too dark. Too dark and too quiet. I imagine Miss Horsham's father has scared the patrons away. Then it is he. All the evidence points to it. But how has he done this? Some kind of transfusion? Lizard glands or something? Listen to yourself, man. Yes, it does sound a little far-fetched. I believe the truth will be much simpler and tragic. Who's there? Come out where I can see you. Mr. Horsham, please, let me help you. Help me? What help can I need from a humble match-seller? I am no humble match-seller. My God, Sherlock Holmes! And I am no woman. Yes, I realise that. Please, let us help you. This has gone on long enough. No. For too long, people have looked down at me, forced me to live a life of penury. But no one looks down at a lizard. Now I am amongst my own kind. I can free them, let them run around the streets of London. I will be their king. Not even Sherlock Holmes can stop me. Holmes, get back. His claws. Have no fear. <coughs> mm, an impressive hit. The noble art of boxing. Effective against any man. Or lizard. Mm, look closely. 
My goodness. The head and hands. They're paper mache. I suspected as much as soon as Miss Horsham mentioned stationers. He may have started on the road to a scientific breakthrough, but when he realised it was impossible, he turned to simpler methods to effect his transformation. And I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you meddling detectives. But why? I wanted to achieve something. To prove to Charlotte that her father wasn't a useless man, his head full of lizardy dreams. When my scientific formula failed to work, the mask was my only option if I was to be taken seriously by the scientific community. Right. And then your landlord visited and saw you in costume. Indeed. And his years of bullying were over in a flash. Then it dawned on me that when I was wearing the costume, nothing was impossible. Money, power, it could all be mine. But the disguise came to overwhelm the man. If it wasn't for your punch, I think I might never have returned to my senses. But what will become of me? Your disguise is a trivial matter, one that could easily be attributed to the work of a continental street artist. But the money you took... Please, Mr. Holmes. That is a matter for the police, and one I cannot stand in the way of. But I need not aid them in their investigation. Perhaps if you were to return it, and quickly, this matter could be overlooked. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. Well... That was over very quickly. Sometimes I'm pressed myself. Now to Baker Street, and perhaps afterwards to Covent Garden for an opera. I think I've had enough of performers for one day, and I need to sit down. These heels are killing me. A most unusual case. In that you are correct. And at no point did Sherlock Holmes think to contact the police? No, but... Either in the protection of innocence in harm's way on an afternoon at the zoo, or later to assist them in the matter of the stolen money? The theft of the money Miss Horsham referred to was a single incident, and the work of a man driven temporarily from his senses. It was later returned. Had we taken it further, the result could have been more tragic for both Miss Horsham and her father. But that is not your decision to take. Once again, Sherlock Holmes acts impulsively and outside of the very law he purports to protect. Now, wait a minute. And what of the note? Holmes is hardly a recluse. Such notes are an unfortunate side effect of being the greatest consulting detective in England. <clears throat> Sorry, Britain. <clears throat> All right, the world. Your Honour, to assert that Sherlock Holmes is either a danger to his clients or the public is simply not true. Think of the good he has done. The Stoner case, the Copper Beaches affair, the adventure of the Piranha Aquarium. It is true that he has made some difference to the lives of his clients. But what of the other times? The time, for instance, when your friend was playing dead. He had good reason for playing dead, as you put it. He disappeared at Reichenbach so as to track down the associates of a master criminal and to also protect the life of a dear friend. If you mean you, just say it. Furthermore, when he returned, it was to bring to justice Professor Moriarty's right hand, Colonel Sebastian Moran. You can read about it in the account entitled The Adventure of the Empty House, which I prefer to call Sherlock Holmes from Beyond the Grave. Most noble. Tell me, Mr. Holmes, what were you doing while you were away? Your Honour, I hardly think this is correct procedure. Oh, really? Not correct procedure, eh? Tell me, are you a judge? No. Have they begun to spell judge with an S or a herlock? Uh, no. Well then, answer the question! Are we known to each other? Is that the reason for this elaborate disguise? I myself am fond of theatrics, but really... Theatrics? Less of that, Sonny! Watch I don't find you in contempt of court! <sighs> 
Let's press on. I do like a sentence, so the sooner we get to the end of this one, the better. I call Inspector Jeffcott. Inspector! Oh, oh, is that me? Sorry. You were in London between 1892 and 1895. What was noticeable about Mr. Holmes' absence? A sudden increase in crime. Fortunately, there was also a sudden increase in consulting detectives. Oh, really? Indeed. That's true, Your Honour. There was quite an industry back then. Just like Holmes, they had their gimmicks. I don't have a gimmick. The pipe, the drugs, the grumpiness. Oh. There was Max Carrados, the blind detective. Professor Van Dusen, the thinking machine. That fellow who lived down the road you don't like to talk about. You mean Sexton? Quiet. Not to mention Grandfather Jones, the elderly detective, and Basil Diath, the deducing skull. Who was he? It was a skull that went around in a box carried by his assistant, the ventriloquist Charlie Chops. He would turn up at crime scenes, get his skull out, and away he went. Inspector, how did you rate these detectives? Some were all right, not all. Septimus Thagger, though. He was the best. Oh, really? Why, I remember his exploits from the magazines. Those stories weren't exceptionally well written. The best they were. <laughs> Excuse me. And how did Mr. Thagger's style differ from Sherlock Holmes? He didn't make you feel stupid. Sherlock Holmes could make you feel like you were insects. Tiny police ants or something. Go on. Septimus Thagger. It was like he could sniff out crime with that mighty nose. His theory was that crime and criminals, well, you could smell them. He just had to follow his nose. It was like his nose had an instinct. And we much prefer following our instincts, not all this deducing business. Which is surely why so many of the country's police feel the need to come to my door for assistance. It seems that you constantly think yourself above the law. Only that I see more keenly and at times act more keenly. Do you flout the usual methods of the police? If I flout them, it's because they deserve flouting. Explain yourself. I pride myself on using logic and deduction to solve a case. If the usual police methods flout my scientific method, I flout right back. So you admit to it. But my methods do usually get me my man. Who, Watson? Eh? Hey, now hang on. No, I mean the perpetrator of the crime. Oh, I see. Yes, that makes much more sense. So, Mr. Holmes, will you give us an example of your methods? Consider this your defence. Very well, Your Honour. Uh, now, let's see. Ah, yes. It was in March of 1895, and I had been called on... Objection! Uh, Watson, this is my defence. What are you objecting to? Well, it's just that... That what? I tell the stories. Really, Watson? You're doing this now? No, he's got a point, Holmes. I've read the ones you wrote yourself. <sighs> oh, very well. Thank you. Now, Your Honour, it was in March of 1895. Y yes? Which story was this again? The Adventure of the Man with the Smashed-In Head. Oh, yes. <clears throat> right. It was in March of 1895, and Holmes and I had seen little of each other lately. My marriage had drifted us away from each other like two leaves attached to two separate dogs. But one morning, I discovered him waiting at my private practice for me. Ah, Watson. Good morning. Holmes, how nice to see you. Is it? Interesting. What are you doing here? I need your help, Watson. I heard you had this new practice, so I thought I'd come and greet you as you arrived. But how did you know what time I'd arrive? I didn't. How long have you been waiting here? Since five o'clock. Five? No sane person goes to work at five. I've been at work since three. Yes, well. Come, Watson. 
That is hail a cab. But... Yes? Well, I'm... You're... At work. I've just arrived to work. For the day. Surely your patience can wait. This is a matter of life and death. Oh, very well. As long as we're not too long. So, what is it? Is someone in danger? A kidnapping? No, no. A body was found last night in Regent Street. A body? That's right. But you said it was a matter of life and death. It is. He was alive and now he's dead. So why do you want my help? Ah, Watson. I'd be lost without my Boswell. I've missed having you around on the chase. I thought as much. My insights, my knowledge. No, it's more that your wildly inaccurate suppositions often turn my own mind to the correct hypothesis. And you always have a gun with you. I have found it prudent to keep my trusty service revolver on me at all times. So I notice in that Turkish bath. Most ingenious. Ah, here we are. What are you playing at, Jeffcott? This was supposed to be my case. I'm sorry, Mr. Thagger. I tried. I said to them, you want Septimus Thagger on this one? His mind is like a dagger. His body is unhaggard. You actually said that? I couldn't think of anything to rhyme with dagger. Blagger? Well, that would have worked, yes. It's this kind of thing that stops us getting in the strand. I'm hungry, Jeffcott. For a case? I know. No, for food. If I don't get a case soon, I'll have to boil my own shoes. It might help if you laid off the bottle a bit. You smell like closing time, but a sherry mongers. The sherry's a mere trifle. The nose, Jeffcott. It's oiled and ready and waiting to sniff some action. Listen, I'd clear off if I were you. Holmes and Watson have just pulled up. Oh, Christ, here they come. It would be them. I'll be seeing you, Jeffcott, and just remember what I said. Isn't that Septimus Thagger wandering away from the crime scene? Ha, if it had baffled him, we should be done by lunch. Good morning, officer. Where is Inspector Lestrade? He's interviewing the locals, Mr. Holmes. Ah, I see. You were called in by Scotland Yard's finest to consult on the case. No, I was called in by Lestrade. He knocked up Mrs. Hudson this morning. I beg your pardon? And she knocked me up. Luckily, I was sleeping fully dressed, so I was ready in an instant. Lestrade explained what had been found, and I hurried to knock you up. Could you please stop saying that? Now, Watson, what do you think of that? What? The body. Right. Yes, let's have a look. I see. Oh, dear. It seems his arms and legs are broken in several places, and his head has been completely caved in. What sort of a weapon could do such a thing? Intriguing, is it not? Excuse me. Holmes, what are you doing? Are you sniffing the dead man? Quiet, Watson. All right, very well. It's just that... Holmes, sniffing, I've seen you do before, but I draw the line at licking. Interesting. You see this? It looks like dirt. It is. And you know where it came from? Yes, you just licked it off his sleeve. No, I mean where it came from originally. No, of course not. But I suppose you do. I can tell you that this is fresh and did not come from anywhere in London. How can you possibly know every soil in London? That is my bread and butter, Watson. Mm, That's why you licked it. Now, just what on earth is the meaning of this? John! Oh, my poor dear John! Right, give him here! Excuse me, sir, just who are you? I am this poor fellow's father, sir, and I demand he be released to me. I'm afraid we're in the middle of an investigation. Nonsense! He's my boy and he belongs with me! Now, see here! Which of you is Holmes? My name, sir, but you have the advantage of me. I know you, you scoundrel. I've heard of you before. You are Holmes the meddler, Holmes the busybody, Holmes the Scotland Yard chimp dog. Your conversation is most entertaining, sir. 
And your name? What's a chimp dog? And you will not keep my boy from me. Look, I have a signed letter from the Lord Mayor telling you to release him. May I see the letter? You dare question me? Don't you know who I am? No, you won't tell me. I am a dangerous man to fall foul of. See that you keep yourself out of my grip. Holmes, he's picking up the body. Officer, aren't you going to stop him? Um, maybe I should call Lestrade. Grab him! But the Lord Mayor... Out of my way! You will not take him! Holmes! Unhand me! Ow! Holmes, are you all right? Where is that... Oh, he's gone! This is most troubling. Come, Watson, let us return to Baker Street and think this problem through. Very well, Holmes. No, wait, my patience! Oh, very well. You go back to your practice and meet me in my rooms when you are finished. Very good. Holmes, I came as quickly as I... (coughs) Holmes, I can hardly see with all this smoke. Oh, yes, it is rather close in here. Just how much have you smoked? I lost count after the second ounce. Oh, really, Holmes? You came for an afternoon drive, Watson. Where are we going? Did you notice the fingernails of our gruff friend? Who? The boy's father? I think not. What? You mean you're not talking about him or he's not the boy's father? As they were side by side, I studied their features. There are 84 similarities between fathers and sons. This particular couple only displayed seven. Oh. They had different fingernails? No, no, the fingernails were a different matter. They had the same fingernails? No. Very well, go ahead. As he picked up our cadaver, I noticed something rather peculiar under his fingernails. That is why I extracted a sample. That's why you attacked him. I wondered why you did that. After comparing the dirt from his fingers and the soil on the body, they are one and the same. My extensive notes identified it as furtive Eliza, a form of compost, only found in a small village in Somerset. I visited Richard Thomas, my usual soil dealer, and he... Hang on. You have a soil dealer? Yes. Don't you? No. Oh. Why not? Um... So, Thomas told me that he had sold an amount of furtive Eliza just last week to a Lord Leatherby. I asked for a description of Leatherby, and it sounds to me the exact man that accosted us at the crime scene. My word! Good work, Holmes! We must go to visit him right now. There is no time to delay. Well, you could have told me all that on the way. Yes, but I wanted to finish this pipe first. Now let us go. Lord Leatherby, open up. What in the blazes? You again? Yes, I just wanted to apologise for my rather ungentlemanly conduct earlier on. Apology accepted. Good day. Might we come in? We have travelled far to apologise in person. Oh, very well. Come in. This is a beautiful house, Lord Leatherby. Thank you. And how long have you lived here on the top floor? For the last three months. I understand you recently spent some time in Hungary. What of it? You knew a man named David Schwartz, did you not? I recognise that name. Indeed, Watson. He was an aviation inventor. He was working on the design of a new airship and died outside a restaurant in Vienna last year. What has that to do with me? I believe that you orchestrated the death of Schwartz, then returned to England with his plans for a new aluminium airship to continue the work yourself. Preposterous. What are you basing that on, Holmes? Consulting the recent papers on airships obtained from my aviation dealer... You have a... uh, Not now. I discovered Lord Leatherby here was an aviation enthusiast himself, but after an accident in which his airship killed four people, he was banned from ever flying again by the Queen herself. I believe he took Schwartz's plans and has been secretly testing a new airship right here in London. Wouldn't it have been seen? Due to the pollution in the city, if you look up at the sky at night, you can no longer even see the stars. 
A large, dark, boggy object could easily evade the naked eye. And with Schwartz's plans... Schwartz was a fool. He would have taken another ten years to complete his ideas at the rate he was going. So you admit it. Hang on a minute. What has any of this got to do with the body in Regent Street? The chap with his head smashed in. Where's the weapon? I don't believe his head was smashed in, as you so eloquently put it. Well, I beg to differ. I saw him. There is no other explanation for those wounds. I believe he was recruited to test out the new airship by Lord Leatherby himself. And I also believe he was pushed out of the airship and his wounds were the result of his hitting the floor at some speed. Oh, yes. That would do it. No. No? No? No! It was an accident. Really? You must believe me. I was showing him around on a routine flight and he was intrigued by my air garden. Ah, hence the furtive Eliza. He was in the outdoor section and he leaned over the railing to get a view of the Thames. A freak gust of wind rocked the ship and he fell. I swear, it's the truth. What kind of an airship is this? An air garden? A railing that could lead to certain death? Yes, you see why he was banned now. These ridiculous designs. Ridiculous? How dare you? My designs will revolutionise air travel. You don't believe me? I'll show you. Step away from that lever. The roof. It's inflating. This is why I live on the top floor. Turn it off, Leatherby. You'll have to make me. Very well. But I must warn you, I boxed for Oxford. And Cambridge. And I was the under-25 champion of... (gasps) Ah, thank you, Watson. Any time. Let me just turn this off. Phew. I thought we were going on a little adventure then. Maybe another time, Watson. You know, I've always fancied a room that can turn into an airship. Really? That's a very specific thing to fancy. Think of it, Watson. You and me, flying around the city, righting wrongs. The detectives of the sky! And how long did this flying detective venture last? Two days. The thing really was very poorly designed. (laughs) We nearly killed half of Parliament. (laughs) Reckless! Watson, did you have to add that last fact? Oh, um, were you going to leave that bit out? Yes. Sorry. Well, I think we have heard enough, but I'm quite enjoying these stories, so let's have one more. I call once again Inspector Jeffcott. Inspector! Oh, sorry, it's me again, isn't it? Yes. Now, Inspector, I believe you have witnessed firsthand one of the great detective Sherlock Holmes' failures. Um, well, don't think so. Me pretty much nails it every time. Are you quite sure about that? Uh, yes. Or am I? Were you not involved in the recent case involving the dead man on the London Underground? Your Honour, you seem to be feeding the Inspector here with words. What? Preposterous! There is no word feeding here. The Inspector is talking with his own words, issuing from his own mouth. Isn't that right, Inspector? Uh... Yes. Yes. See? Hmm. Yes, I see. Thank you. Go on, Inspector. Go on... You were telling us about the case on the underground. Was I? Oh, yes, uh, so there was this dead man on the London Underground. Uh, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> yes? Allow me. Oh, not this again. Oh, come on, you heard how he began. He can't tell a story. Oi. Watson, just let him. No, it's a matter of principle. Principle? Look, you do the deducting, the disguises, the fighting and the solving. All I do is follow you around with my gun and every now and then shoot a dog in the head. All I have is the telling of your stories. Please, don't deny me that. 
I think you'd better let him, Your Honour. Oh, fine, but make it snappy. Very well. Pay attention, Inspector. I'll show you how it's done. It was the year 1896. Last year? Yes, last year. It was the year 1896, and due to an unfortunate ploughing incident, I found myself once more between wives. I had moved back into my digs in Baker Street with Mr. Sherlock Holmes, and was again engaged in the solving of crimes on a regular basis. I was awoken one morning by the sound of raised voices. I made my way to our sitting room to find Sherlock Holmes exchanging words with a man we've already heard tell of during this trial. You, sir, are a blackguard. I'm not. And you are a thief. I'm not. You think this is acceptable? You knew I was on this case. I knew nothing of the sort. I was under the impression I was the first to be informed of the incident. Don't give me that. You've been waiting for this moment, sniffing around me like a cat in a bath. You, sir, are a blackguard. I'm not. You haven't heard the last from me, Holmes. Ah, Watson, would you like some tea? Mrs. Hudson is on her way up. Who's that awful man? That, my dear Watson, was Septimus Thagger. Septimus Thagger? The crime sniffer? Ah, you've heard of him. Yes, he was quite popular while you were dead. You know I wasn't actually dead, don't you? Oh, that's right. What did he want? He's upset I have taken a case that he wanted. Oh, really? And what case is this? Oh, hello, gents. Here's your tea. Ah, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Here, who was that man with the giant conch? Septimus Thagger. The crime sniffer. Stop calling him that. Well, he was very rude. He didn't even say thank you for the biscuits. You gave him our biscuits? Uh, Thank you for the tea, Mrs. Hudson. Now please leave us. Oh, you want a case? Yes. What is it? Murder, is it? Yes, Holmes, do tell. Uh, Not in front of Mrs. Hudson. No, really. She's just the landlady. She don't know nothing about murders. I'll have you know I've seen plenty of rum acts in my time. Why, just the other day, I was having a massage... Mrs Hudson! Oh, all right, ducky, but don't say I never offered. Just what has this to do with the case? I'm setting the atmosphere, painting pictures with my mouth. I'm sure Inspector Jeffcott can't do that. Just get on with it. Very well. So, what is this case, then? A young man found dead on the underground on Tuesday morning. Oh, I think I read about that in the papers. His body was discovered by a fellow passenger, Lucy Waters, as the train pulled into Aldgate Station. I see. Should we try and find this Lucy Waters? Ask her some questions? As a matter of fact, I sent her a telegram this morning, asking her to meet us here. And if I'm not much mistaken, I do believe... A young lady for you, sir. She's very pretty. Oh, really? Steady, Watson. This is no time for wife hunting. But... No! Who did she kill? Send her in, please, Mrs. Hudson. Oh, very well. Ah, Miss Waters. Let me take your coat. Thank you. Please take a seat, Miss Waters. Let me take your gloves. Thank you. Now tell us about the discovery on the train last Tuesday. Let me take your... Watson! Sorry. Very well. I was on the train and I found the dead man. Okay. Could you elaborate? I had come to London to visit my dear old father, who has lived here in London for ten years. And I was due to get off at Aldgate. I got up from my seat and made my way towards the exit. It was then that I saw something in the next carriage. And what did you see? The dead man. And? No, just him. 
What did you do next? Well, I went over to see if he needed any help. And? Well, he didn't. He was dead. I see. Do you? Can I go now? Uh, no, I have a few more questions. Are you sure, Holmes? I'm happy to walk Miss Waters home. Uh, no, Watson. Miss Waters, can you describe the body to us? He was quite sure. And it was lying on the ground. Uh, I couldn't see anything wrong with him, except, of course, his face. What was wrong with his face? He looked scared out of his mind. If you ask me, I'd say he was frightened to death. Oh, Holmes, do you have to? Sorry, it helps me think. Thank you, Miss Waters. You may now go. Bye, then. Allow me to walk you home. Uh, no, Watson, I need you. We must examine the train carriage. But no, fine. Well, here we are. This is the exact carriage where the poor man was discovered. There has been an inquest, and I have a copy here of what was said. May I? Mm, indeed. Hmm, let's have a look here. No signs of violence, and apparently he had no enemies and no family to speak of. It is an intriguing case. That is why I asked for the carriage to be taken out of service and left for us to inspect. I can't believe they did that for you. And I'm even more surprised that they put the body back where they found it for you. I have a friend in the mortuary. Let us examine the body. It is just as Miss Waters described. Ah, Miss Waters. Watson, you are a doctor. What is your medical opinion? Well, I'd say she's in rude health. Although I'd need to do a full examination. No, I meant him. Oh, I see. Yes, <clears throat> well, there certainly doesn't seem to be any sign of foul play. But his face, it's contorted. Poison? Hmm, looking at his face, it would have to be a very fast-acting venom. He was taken unawares. The killer would have still been there. But this was the last carriage and nobody else was seen. Maybe he was scared of trains. What? No, hear me out. The killer drugged him, brought him onto the train, then when he awoke, his natural train phobia kicked in and frightened him so much his heart gave out. But then he would have cried out. He was struck dumb with terror? And why wouldn't the killer just have poisoned him in the first place instead of drugging him? Um... No, I believe there is a simpler explanation. Have a look behind his left ear, under the hair. My word. Two little marks. How did the coroner miss that? He wasn't looking for it, but I was. So, it was some sort of vampire. What? Like that one in Sussex. She turned out not to be a vampire. Oh, yes. And neither is this. I believe this was caused by our old friend the Swamp Adder, the deadliest snake in India. India? What was it doing here? It was placed here deliberately. And look at this corner. You see the dust? Yes. This train is filthy. You can see tracks in the dust. Tracks of different sizes. Our slithering killer was not alone. Snakes on a train? Well, that's just plain silly. The killer must have left them before alighting at the previous stop. So how do we find the killer? Holmes? We could... Yes? Uh, do you have your pipe on you? No. Quickly, to the tobacconist! But Mr. Holmes never solved that case, did he? Well, no. There have been the odd occasion when... I have been beaten four times. Three times by men and once by a woman. A woman? <laughs> but the crime was solved, wasn't it? Yes. What? By Septimus Thagger. What have you to say to that? All I know is that Thagger fingered a Hungarian vagabond for the crime and he was hanged. 
He never told me how he discovered the culprit, though, or what evidence he had. And the police refused to speak to me about it. They seemed very put out that he had solved it before me. And I have one more question for you, Mr. Holmes. Is it not true that during our investigation of this case, you purchased a swamp adder from India to carry out experiments on? That is true. Dangerous move. It could have escaped. It didn't, though. But it could have. It could have killed anybody, even Dr. Watson here. But it didn't. I can testify to that. Silence! Again, reckless endangerment of the public, of your friend. A recklessness born of an arrogance that rides roughshod over the police and indeed your own brother detectives. I have no brother detectives. You see them as rivals. I don't see them at all. And there we have it. The arrogance of the master. Final proof of the guilt of Sherlock Holmes. Look at his face. The guilt is written across it like lines in a book. Don't you mean words? It is a book of lines. Sherlock Holmes, this court can only find you guilty as charged. You are to be taken from this place and killed until you are dead. This is ridiculous. No jury, no prosecution, no defence save that which Holmes can put up himself. Inspector, surely you see this is no kind of justice? The case seems sturdy enough to me, Doctor. Like one made of fine leather. Or oak. Mm, that sort of thing. Holmes, for goodness sake, surely you can't remain passive any longer. He remains passive because he knows the truth is finally out. The guilt. Can you not smell it upon him, Dr. Watson, Inspector? And that is what I was waiting for, gentlemen. What's going on? Holmes? The only thing I can smell here is the scent of decay, and its source is our friend the judge here. Sorry, I had a big lunch. Then all of this? Not even you are that slow, Watson. From the moment we received the telegram calling us here, I've always known this setup was a sham. I played along until, like bees sensing a delicious cake, they led me to my prize. Prize? The identity of our judge. None other than failed detective Septimus Thagger. You mean... That's right, Watson. The crime sniffer. Don't call him that. Curse you, Holmes! But how did you know? The scientific application of deduction. Two parts ears to one part's brain. A brain with ears? I'm not sure that's advisable. Throughout this charade of a trial, the evidence was leading us to one possible conclusion, the work of a bitter rival. Take the evidence presented. All the cases our judge referred to were those in which Thagger played a role. And I now know who put those snakes on that train. I had my suspicions. It was you, wasn't it? Just so you could be the one to solve the case. That's why you knew about it before me, even though the police came to me first. And you sent that poor innocent Hungarian man to his death. But hang on. Miss Horsham's father, the lizard man. I don't remember Thagger being involved in that. The note we received, the one that our judge seemed to set great store by, sent by Thagger himself. No. Yes. No. Yes. Gosh. By the time of our trip to the zoo, I'd been in London again for a while, and my reputation was restored to its former glory, much to the chagrin of some of my so-called rivals. Remember the text? The scent of judgment shall come to you. Only the sniffer of justice would use such a phrase... He had several times in the case notes written up in the boy's paper of adventures and japes by you, Inspector Jeffcott. Damn. You were his assistant. As a policeman, I was well placed to help Septimus with his cases. He didn't pay me. I got my extra pennies writing about him, just like you do. Yes, a bit too much like I do. Septimus Thagger and the massive moorland mutt. 
That is an entirely original adventure. Oh, so you can point to Hartmore on a map, can you? Excuse me, I am trying to deduct here. Oh, well, really. Mine's just the same. They do like their little moment in the limelight. Just now, Thagger mentioned the smell of guilt. The final piece of the jigsaw slotted into place, and the picture it created was not a pleasant country scene. It was a scene of bitterness and decay in the form of a human man. I'm not the only one who wished you'd stayed dead at Reichenbach. Quite a few of us had a pretty thing going after that. Everyone wanted their cases solved by Sherlock Holmes, but there wasn't a Sherlock Holmes to solve them anymore. Those were the days. Of all the heirs to Holmes' crown, I was the best of them. I had a pet detective. I beg your pardon? I liked the theatricality of it best. Nothing mundane, always a governess to rescue, or a man poisoned by his own shoes. Yeah, it was a good one. Then you had to come back to life, and no one wanted us Johnny-come-latelys. And that's why you turned to crime. Like that snake business. If the crimes weren't coming to me, I decided I'd make my own to solve. And still the police went to you. And slowly you were eaten away by bitterness and poverty. And now it's killing me. The homemade gin will do that to your insides. I'll be dead within a month. I'm sorry. Don't be. I'm having so much fun. I might be finished, but at least I'll have the pleasure of finishing you, too. But this isn't a real court. There'll be no record of this. You forget Jeff Cott. I think an eyewitness account from a serving police officer with a talent for elaboration should serve the papers well. You fiend. You're an officer of the law. How can you have fallen so low? Let's face it, I was never going to be the best copper. Why do you think I ended up here and not in London? It was all right when Thagger was ruling the roost in town. I'd help him find the case, he'd solve it, I'd turn it into a story and he'd get noticed. We were both winners. When your Mr. Holmes came back, no one wanted to know. It didn't matter how good Septimus Thagger's nose was, Sherlock Holmes was worth 50 noses. And so without Thagger's help, your true worth as a detective was exposed, and you ended up here. So you see, I have just as much to gain from this. Unfortunately, like a magician at a children's party, the dream is better than the reality. What do you mean? From the moment the telegram arrived, I knew that a trap was being sprung. One that could lead to the disgrace and death of both myself and Dr. Watson. You walked us into danger. And you didn't tell me. Again. Look at your little face, Watson. You love it. You knew it was a trap and still you came? Yes, that does sound a bit stupid. Remember what I said to you, old man? That it wasn't a cocaine thing? No, to trust me. You think I would leave London without alerting Lestrade? He's on his way to Sussex as we speak. Now we're for it. We're for nothing, Jeffcott. Where are you going? Watson, stop him. I shouldn't try it, Jeffcott. My trusty service revolver has never let me down. You wouldn't shoot me, Dr. Watson. Not a fellow writer. Writer? Ha! You should leave the prose to the prose. Please, Doctor. I won't shoot you. As you're a fallen policeman, I think we'll leave you to the tender mercies of Lestrade. Based on your activities, it wouldn't surprise me if he has you defrocked. That's Vickers. <laughs> Watson! I hardly think that was the appropriate reaction. Not me, Holmes. Look behind you. Thagger! Hmm, what's that scent in the air? I sniff the smell of a man outfoxed. Really? And what else does your nose tell you? That the oh-so-clever Mr. Holmes might have inhaled more than he can smell when he confronted me. I challenge you. You challenge me? Yes, I challenge you. I warn you, do not pit your nose against my brain. For like the simple cotton handkerchief, my brain will wipe this room clean of your corruption. Oh, 
Oh, Holmes, this is why I do the writing. Well then, let this become a trial of a different sort. Oh, really, this is just wrong. Well, what can the master tell the pupil? The cognitive powers of my Nazular equipment tell me that Sherlock Holmes is a liar. Holmes? Damn your very nose. Even if you had told Lestrade of your concerns, you had no clue as to your final destination. There is no one coming. It is just you and me and my revolver. And me? Oh, yes. Have you forgotten me? No. What? Oh, dear. Has your nose failed you? Did that sound like the door to you, Watson? It sounded like the door to me. Curses! And I don't even have a cold. Can we wrap this up? Only, I think I'm going to be sick. You see, however vigorously you cleanse your equipment, it simply will not replace the accuracy of my finely tuned mind. I've spent years training these nasal hairs. But can your nose tell you that your gun is empty? My brain can. I can see by the way you hold it it is empty. You made a present of your last bullet to Inspector Jeffcott. I still have my hands. (coughs) (laughs) In the trial of Sherlock Holmes, I think the sentence is... Innocent. Get the door, would you? So Lestrade did know where we were. Blimey, gents. Have you gone deaf or something? Mrs Hudson! And how did your powers of deduction work that one out? But how? Thagger was right. I had no time to inform Lestrade and I had no confidence in him locating us in time. So I turned to the one person I knew I could rely on in a crisis. Oh. Uh, After you, old friend. No cheers, I don't think. Any chance of a sit-down in a cup of tea? My plates of meat are killing me. I wish you wouldn't carry your dinner around with you. You never know when you might fancy a nibble on a cutlet. You have excelled yourself, Mrs Hudson. Following us down and waiting outside until the inevitable violent denouement. And I'm sure the good doctor might well give you pride of place when he comes to write this one up. Yes, don't count on it. And all that leaves us to do is contact the police and have them clear up this sorry mess. Although I fear the trial that Septimus Thagger faces is one with his maker, not the arms of justice. The plan was the work of a desperate mind with little time left. To the local police station. Here. What? I haven't finished my sit-down yet. Fine. Finished. Then away we go. And so ends this strange and shocking adventure. An adventure that led to the tragic downfall of the world's only nose-based consulting detective. An adventure for which Sherlock Holmes must take some degree of the blame. If he hadn't disappeared for all those years, only to unceremoniously return without so much as a buy or leave, perhaps Jeffcott might still be a terrible policeman and a terrible writer, and Thagger might not have consumed the fatal drink that ultimately killed him. And I might have had my breakfast in peace. Obviously, when I mention this to Holmes, he does his cross face, which forces me to head to my club and gamble excessively. You may be wondering about the romance I mentioned at the beginning of this narrative. Well, on the train back to London, I met a charming young lady by the name of Gladys Frieger. I made sure she knew who I was and let her know that she could send a telegram day or night. Still got it. The Trial of Sherlock Holmes was written and directed by Peter Davis and Matthew Woodcock. With Peter Davis as Sherlock Holmes, Matthew Woodcock as Dr. Watson, Ben Whitehead as Inspector Jeffcott, Mr. Horsham and Lord Leatherby, Laura Marshall as Charlotte Horsham, Mrs. Hudson and Lucy Waters, and Simon Kane as the Judge and Septimus Thagger.
Recorded at the Ruskin Studios. Engineered and edited by Peter Davis. This was a Newgate production for the Wireless Theatre Company.